We'll now turn to our attention to God's holy word. We'll turn first of all to Matthew and then to the gospel according to John. Our readings will be taken in connection also with the first petition in which the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. So in connection with that first petition, we'll read together those passages. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1, to read God's word as follows. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as his little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into, the, into a hell of fire. So far reading from Matthew, let's turn to the Gospel according to John chapter 12. John 12, verse 23 through 33. You find it on page 1,239, your Bible you have in the pew. So it's 1239, page number. So that's John 12, verse 23. But Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. He said, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So far, reading from God's holy word. We'll now turn to that which we uh, confess in the Heidelberg Catechism. 
which gives an explanation also for this first petition that the Lord Jesus has given to us. So our text really is the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and we've already dealt, or you've already dealt with uh, this congregation, the address, our Father, uh, uh, who is in heaven, our Father in heaven, and now we'll turn to the first petition, and there we confess, on page 561 of your book of praise, what is the first petition? And the answer is that he, hallowed be your name. That is, grant us, uh, first of all, that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works, in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, first of all, teaches us to address our prayers to the Father. And the Father is the Father who is in heaven. And so he's referring then to the Father who is Almighty God, the Father who is in control, uh, the Sovereign Lord over all of creation. And then when he gets into the substance of the prayer, the first thing he teaches us to pray is to the Father, is Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed meaning, may your name be honored, may your name be glorified. As we reflect on this first petition, we need to understand that what the Lord Jesus does at the very beginning of this petition is he, he directs our attention to the, the goal that God has set for creation. What is the goal for God's people? What is our goal? And our goal ultimately is that the Father in heaven may be glorified for all things in all of creation must serve in the way that it glorifies the Father. He, after all, is the creator, and as the creator, he is the one who is to be acknowledged as the creator. He is the one who is to receive all honor and glory throughout our entire life. And so the Lord Jesus is teaching us here about the goals in our lives. And so one of the questions we want to ask this afternoon, so what are the goals that are meaningful to us? If we look at our own lives, we will all have different kinds of goals. And we don't, and the goals may be quite different from one another. But what happens so often is when we look at those goals that we have, we expect those goals to fulfill a certain need in our lives. We expect those goals to give us joy, to give us happiness, to give us peace, to give us the, the, the things that make our life meaningful and that gives us a sense of purpose. But yet the result of, of that is that, that we often set selfish goals and the goals are more about me than it is about the Lord God in, in heaven. So what is the goal that gives true blessedness in our lives? What gives us true joy? What gives us real peace? And ultimately, the goal that, of all goals is that everything in our lives may serve to the honor and to the glory of our Father in heaven. And so this afternoon, we'll listen to God's word under this theme, the Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the prayer the Lord Jesus taught us. Under that theme, we'll look at two things. First of all, the focus in our lives that Jesus is referring to, and secondly, the goal for our lives. 
Back in John chapter 12, verse 27, the Lord Jesus is coming near the end of his life. His suffering is increasing. He's coming to the point where he's about to be put to death. And at a certain point, he says to his disciples and those who are with him, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? What shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this trouble. Save me from the suffering. Remove the pain from my life. And the answer Lord Jesus gives is no. But it is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Reflect on those words and you notice that Christ's focus. Christ's focus is not on himself. It's not even on his, his suffering, not even on his pain. Oh, that doesn't mean he doesn't feel the pain and the suffering. After all, he says, my, now my soul is troubled. It, it, it deeply affects him and it deeply impacts his, his whole life. But that's not his concern. His concern is not about his own suffering, his own pain. Notice what his concern is. His concern is how his suffering and how his death, how that will glorify his Father in heaven. And so when you look at what the Lord Jesus says here, here you also have this example. Example for our own lives and how we are to pray this particular petition. How often do we not say to ourselves, we may not use the same words, but we might say, my soul is troubled. I'm going through pain. I'm going through suffering. There's these hardships in my lives that almost make, makes my life unbearable. I can't take it anymore. Lord, remove this suffering. Remove this pain from my life. What shall I say? It's the words of Jesus. Lord, save me from this suffering. Remove this pain from my life. That tend to be our, our, our prayers, beloved. Right? We, we go to the Lord. Lord, I'm suffering. Take my suffering away. Lord, I have this pain. Make it better. Lord, I have these relationships in my life that, uh, that are only causing me sorrow every day again. Please remove that or, or take that away from me. And so we can go through so many different things in our lives where, where we're praying, Lord, remove this, remove this pain, remove this, uh, this, this anguish that I have in my life. And what's the Lord Jesus? How does he pray when he, he faces those kinds of situations in his life? Lord Jesus recognizes it's not about... Uh, he, he, Lord Jesus prays to the Father that the Father might glorify him also through the pain and through the suffering in his life. And so, yes, we may pray, Lord, remove the suffering, the pain from me. But ultimately, Lord, what is most important, use this suffering, use this pain so that you may be glorified and you may be praised also through what I'm going through in, in my life. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? How do you pray like that? When, you're, when your soul is pained that deeply. Or when you, there, there's such great disappointments that you're dealing with in, in your life. When it seems your whole life has fallen apart. And, and how can you go forward? Well, the only way we can pray this petition, the only way that it can change our lives, beloved, is if we come to know the Father. That means this prayer can never be prayed without faith. If you don't have faith, without faith, you can never pray this petition. It doesn't mean any, make any sense. Because what is faith? Well, faith recognizes the Father in heaven. It recognizes Him as my Father. So you think about the Lord Jesus. 
Would the Lord Jesus ever be able to pray this petition if he didn't know his Father in heaven? No, he knew his Father very well. He knew him so well that his whole desire is that the Father may be glorified. So he says, Lord, I know that, that this is also necessary, that you may be praised, and you may be glorified. And so, Lord, and, and so also when, when we now pray this petition, you cannot pray this petition, beloved, unless you know your Father in heaven as your Father, and, and you trust him with your whole heart, and you believe that he's a Father who will take care of you. And ultimately, you also trust then that the Father will use the suffering, the pain in your life, in order that he may be glorified and that he may be pra praised through the things that you're struggling and suffering with in, in, in your lives. That also gives us the hope to, to continue on. We know this Father who is faithful is also a Father who is able to help us, also in the midst of the suffering and the pains that, that we go through. And therefore, our prayer, as the Catechism also makes very clear, is that we may come to rightly know God, and we know him as our Father what kind of God he really is. But not only that I may know him, but that the whole world may also come uh, to know my Father in, in heaven. Notice how Paul, the Apostle Paul also ends his, his letter uh, to, to the Romans in chapter, uh, chapter 16. At the very end of, uh, of, of his letter to, to the Romans, Paul's concern is not only for, uh, the, the, for the Corinthians there in, in that congregation, but his uh, concern is uh, for, uh, for the world. His concern is that, that all nations and all peoples may, may come to, to know Lord Jesus. He's, there he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret before the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all, right? made known to all nations, according to the command of that everlasting God, to God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. See what Paul's point here is at the very end of his letter? That the gospel he proclaims may go to all peoples, so that all peoples may come to know the Father in heaven, and as they come to know the Father, they may give all glory to, to God. And so Christ's desire is that all of mankind may, become, may be focused on his Father in heaven. And can you imagine? Imagine for a moment the impact on all of our lives that our focus may always be on our Father in heaven. How would that change everything in your life? Every moment your focus was on your Father. How would that change the relationship you have in your marriage relationships with your husbands, with your, with your wives? Isn't it so often in our relationship as husbands and wives that the focus is on ourselves, my needs, my wants? I become envious, I become bitter, I become angry, uh, I become revengeful towards my, 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 my spouse because they're not serving my needs. Whereas if the focus is on the father, another focus is, well, how can I serve my spouse? How can I serve my husband, my wife? In a way that it may glorify my father in heaven. Because when the focus is on our own needs, we never glorify God. We only show what lives that sinful reaction to the corruption that lives deep in our hearts. When we put our focus on the Father. How may I glorify the Father through my relationship? That changes the way we will also behave to one another. The same happens within the church. Imagine within the congregation if we always are looking at one another, how can I glorify the Father in my relationship with this person? How might that change a relationship with somebody in the church that, that you might have angry words with? Somebody that you might 
feel anger in your heart towards because of something they have said or done. If you want to glorify your father, then you also know that you need to go to such a brother and sister and that, things, and, and that your desire is that also there, that together you may glorify the father in your lives. But the reality is, beloved, that most people, and that includes ourselves as well, we're often focused on our own needs. We're focused on our own hurts. We're focused on our own pains, right? Those are the things that, that, that seem to get all our attention and they take the focus away from the Father in heaven. And so this afternoon, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what's the Lord doing also through this Lord's Supper celebration? The Lord is again bringing us our lives back into focus. He is reminding us again, let's look in an invisible way. He says, look, this is what is really meaningful. This is what really is important, that you focus also on my gift to you in Christ Jesus, that gift that I've given, the, the the, the life of my son, Jesus Christ, for your life and for your salvation. So as you receive the bread and as you receive the wine, this is God reminding you, this is the focus you need to have in your life. This is what I've given to you. And when you make this the focus, then you will also receive my blessing. And you'll be richly rewarded. When that focus is right, beloved, then also the goal in our lives will be right as well. You might notice that the, the second part of the, uh, of the catechism, Norway 47, it says, Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions. What we're praying for here is for the direction in our lives. The direction, the goal in your life will always be determined by the attitude that lives in your, in your heart, the very focus that, that you have. Now, we talk about goals. We have different kinds of people. Also, I'm sure in this congregation as well, some of you might consider yourself to be goal-oriented. You're driven by, uh, by the goals, and so you're, you want to achieve the goals that you have set, and that's what's meaningful in, in your lives. But there may be others here in the congregation who may not be all that goal-oriented. You're not all that interested in, in pursuing certain goals and putting all kinds of energy into that. You're just kind of coasting along through life. Now, we need to be careful to say that one kind of people are better than, other, than the other kind. In fact, you can probably say that both can, can be ungodly. On the one hand, the whole life is about achieving goals, and that can be very un ungodly, and whereas we're thinking about ourselves and our, our own achievements, and it becomes a matter of our own arrogance and pride. And there are others who, who may, on the other hand, just kind of coast through life and not really wanting to, to use the gifts that the Lord God has given in order to fulfill um, the calling that God has given in, in your life. But when the Father becomes the very focus there in your heart, in your life, that will change the whole direction in which you're going to live your life because now you have a goal. And whenever you have a goal, that goal is going to determine how you're going to live, how you're going to achieve it. And, and, and so it's very important also as Christians that our focus is on God so that through God we now have a goal that we may glorify Him in everything that we do. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10 is dealing with an issue with regard to eating meat. And is it okay to, to eat meat that has been sacrificed in, in a temple and then offered on, on the marketplace? Some said no, and others said it's okay. 
And, and Paul doesn't give an answer saying yes or no, either one. He says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he says do it all for the glory of God. So if Paul do, Paul sets forth a principle, a certain principle that is true for all of life. He says whatever you do, look at the motivation. Why are you doing it? You do it all to the glory for the glory of God. And beloved, that also helps inform us how we should then pray this prayer. Then we pray, Lord, help me. Help me that I may direct my life in the right way. Lord, give me the wisdom that I may make the right decisions and choices that reflect your glory. Help me that I may humble myself so that I don't put myself first and I don't put my, heart, my own desires and my heart in the center of everything, but that every choice, every decision, every thought is held captive to your will so that you may be glorified. And you notice how the catechism it teaches us then also to, to ask that the Lord may so direct our life. Direct what? Our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Notice the order that the Lord also gives here. First of all, or that, that the catechism gives, first of all, we talk about our thoughts. Well, you know, our thoughts it deals with our attitudes. <coughs> and the attitude that lives in your heart will also determine the direction in which you're going to, to, to live your life. What comes out of you will be determined what lives deep inside of you, what lives in your heart. And so what you're really praying for is this. What you're praying is, Lord, renew my spirit, renew my heart. Make me into a new person. Because I know that my heart is corrupt, it is sinful. I know that my, my heart is, is directed towards myself and my own needs, my own wants. But Lord, direct my heart to renew it so that it's no longer I who am God in my life, but you are my God, and you are the one whom I desire to serve every day of my life. And so that's the first thing we pray for. Lord, renew my heart. Make me a new, a new person, transforms me, so that I no longer live uh, in the old ways of sin, no longer live in the hurt attitudes of the heart, but I now live in this new way in which I rejoice that I am your child, that you are my father. And that's going to impact your words. You know, words have power. I often think, I know, well, words really can't hurt anybody, right? Words can't really, really destroy a person's life. Well, that's totally wrong. Words are powerful. Words spoken. It can impact people's lives. It can hurt people. It can encourage people. So we need to understand that our words are something we need to be very careful about. But yet, don't we struggle with our words, with the words that come from our mouths? And the very attitude that lives in our hearts, they will often be reflected in the very words that, that come from our mouth and the way that we speak. Right? Our, our words expose also the, the, the deep desires in, in, in our hearts. But beloved, when, when there is a right desire within your heart, then a right attitude will also mean that you will hate, hate words that are hurt God, hate words that are hurtful to the Lord, and you will also hate those words that are hurtful uh, to your brothers and your sisters and to your fellow man. 
When the attitude is right, then you want every word that comes from your mouth, you want those words to be able to build up, first of all, build up the glory and the honor of God so that God is honored with everything that you say. But you also want your words to, to build up your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors around you. Again, if you think of marriage as husbands and wives, how often don't we use our words uh, to, to hurt one another, uh, to tear each other down? How hurtful that is and how destructive it is to your relationship. And yet, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, that you are to every word that comes from our mouth must be words that build one another up. How do I build up my spouse? Also in this situation, my spouse may be angry. My spouse may be uh, disobedient. He may show a wrong attitude. But how can my words be used in a way that I can serve my husband or my, or my wife in this circumstance? And then finally, what lives in the heart also determines our actions. Beloved people, people don't only hear what you say, but people see even more what you do. What you do is even more important than the very words that you speak. Remember God throughout the Old Testament, how often did God not accuse his people Israel of dishonoring his name before the nations? Every time they became disobedient to God or, or God needed to, to bring his judgment upon them and needed to, to, to also show his wrath towards his people. There are times that, that the Lord God uh, then was at the verge of ready to, to completely destroy them. And time and again, God's people, God's prophets, uh, would cry out to the God, Lord God, says, God, don't do that for the sake of your reputation. And so God, God himself is indeed, he was hurt by his own people. And, and we need to understand, beloved, that we do that the same thing today. We can hurt God by our actions when we are not consistent in the way that we live as a child of God. When others, when others know you to be a Christian, but you do something that, that is unchristian, you don't, only, you don't only destroy your own reputation, you destroy the reputation of your very Father in, in, in heaven. And so let me just end with, with this particular point. And that is the Lord Jesus makes very clear that those who make someone else to stumble, and especially a little child, we read in Matthew 18, I mean, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to it again, if, if we make anyone stumble, anyone turn away from the Lord God because of our words, because of our actions, because of anything that we have done. And it's better that a millstone be hung around that neck, our neck and we be, be, be thrown into the sea. See, for the Lord God, there is nothing worse than we might blaspheme his name, we might dishonor him by the way that we speak and the way that, that, we, that we live. If we bring dishonor in the name of God and we drive anybody away from, uh, from the Father in heaven, then we need to understand that we will also bring God's wrath and God's anger upon us. Because that person that we've turned away was also important in the, in the eyes of the Lord, our, our God. So pray. Pray, beloved, that your words and your thoughts and your actions may never cause anyone to stumble. But then instead, through your words and your actions, you may cause others to, to look to your Father for their life and for their salvation. Ultimately, what is our goal? Well, the Lord Jesus says our goal in this prayer is that we might bring honor and glory to our Father, that our Father may be glorified through the whole world. And so, beloved, as we celebrate the supper this afternoon, also take the bread, take of the wine. But remember... Put your focus on that bread and that wine. Not the bread and the wine itself, but on what it symbolizes. 
It symbolizes the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus that was broken, that was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. And when that becomes a focus, then you may also expect God's blessing over your life. Amen.